Good morning. Let me welcome you to our service here at Holbrooks. It's great to, to see you uh, with us this morning. Just a couple of things to make you aware of um, as, we, as we begin. You've got a notice sheet on your way in. It tells you all the main things. We've got a quiet week this week because it's um, half term. So there's no juniors, no youth, no ladies. People's here. And how much compromise is too much? That's at the heart of what we're thinking about today. As Christians, we have tremendous rights and privileges and freedoms, more than we realize. But we need to know how to use them, and we need to know when to let them go. One of the main principles for, for living out the Christian life is that we're denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following Christ. And that clashes directly with where our society is at, doesn't it? We're in a society and a culture where we don't deny ourselves anything. To deny yourself is to harm yourself. What we've got to do is, is in our society, in our culture, you must be true to yourself at any cost. Don't deny yourself. But the Christian life's radically different. In the Christian life, we deny ourselves, sometimes even good things. In the Christian life, we, we die to ourselves. We seek to decrease for Christ to increase. And so, sometimes we have to take personal losses and personal hits in order for that to happen. We live in a society that's more diverse and more unchurched, perhaps, than ever before. We were just talking to a non-Christian in the week, and we are saying how when kids, when we grew up as kids, we still said things like the Lord's Prayer at school, and you still sang hymns. The kids don't do that now. They're further back than, than we were. And so it's really important that we mustn't compromise on gospel truth. We must hold fast on that because this world needs the gospel. But we must be willing to personally lose some things. We must be willing to accommodate some things. And it's always hard to, to know where to draw the line. If we're going to have an impact on our society, on our kids, on our neighbors, something's got to give. And if it's not the gospel then it might have to be some of our rights and our freedoms and our preferences in order to meet people where they're at. And that's what Paul's getting at. He's just started teaching about food and conscience and freedom, and he's spoken how sometimes we have to suppress our freedoms and suppress our rights to, to win people and to protect people whose consciences are tender. And he takes it further here. Instead of giving general advice, he gives personal advice. We usually think of compromise as a bad thing, don't we? And sometimes it is, but there is a right way to compromise. We never lose certain freedoms or convictions. But we can sometimes suppress them for the sake of others. It's right to let some things go in order to get people's ear for other things. And so this is personal this morning. I found it really challenging this week because it... It reminded me as I'm preparing this week how selfish I am, how, how I like things done my way. We've got more money as Christians, more freedom, more leisure time than any other generation of Christian. And it's very easy, isn't it, for us to fall into this trap of living for me. People who've walked away from churches because some of their specific needs and preferences and convictions aren't being met because things aren't being done in a way that they like. We are a, a generation of consumers. 
Self-sacrifice is rare. And Paul brilliantly takes on this personal journey about how to use our rights, how to use our freedoms in order to win people for Christ. I think, I think that he does it in three ways. And each of those ways, I want us to see how Paul's behavior is directly rooted in Christ's behavior. So this is not just Paul's idea. This is Paul, I believe, taking principles from Christ and applying them to us. So the first thing is this. Know your rights, but don't hold on to them. Know our rights, but let's not hold on to them. Verse 1 to 18. See, Paul understood who he was in Christ. He asked the question in verse 1, am I not free? See, Paul understands the the freedom and, and the liberty that he has in Jesus. Paul has freedom to enjoy God's gifts. In verse 3, Paul goes on to talk, I've got freedom to eat what I want. I've got freedom to drink what I want. I've got freedom to take a wife. I've got freedom to earn a wage. As Christians, we have more freedoms than we, than we realize. Being a Christian isn't about being suppressed and being stuffy and being boring. We have freedom. And not only does Paul have freedom, but he says, I've got authority as well in verse 1. Am I not an apostle? An apostle was, you could say, one, one step above a, a normal pastor or leader. An apostle was somebody who'd been personally commissioned by Jesus Christ. Someone who'd been given unique authority and giftings in the early church by Jesus himself. So there, there were 12 apostles, and then as you, as you know, the risen Lord Jesus appeared to Paul when he was still called Saul, and he commissioned him to be an apostle. So Paul's words, it wasn't, just, it wasn't just normal people's words, Paul's words carried special authority. And one of the things that Paul raises, he says, I didn't take a wage from the Corinthian church when I was there. That was my right to take a wage, but I didn't. He makes the point, other, other apostles took money for their ministry, and that was right, and that was correct. He makes a point in verse 7 that a, a soldier's paid for fighting. Kids, get, get on this in your notes. A soldier is paid for fighting. A farmer's allowed to benefit from what he farms. A shepherd's allowed to make a living from his sheep. And so an apostle can make money from ministry. He refers to that odd law from the Old Testament, which Jono talked about for us in verse 8. He makes the point, the law teachers don't muzzle an ox while it's tre- treading the grain. Even an ox has the right to benefit from its work. Paul's point is this, as a Christian and as an apostle, Paul has rights, lots of them. The right to eat what he wants. Paul's not under Jewish food laws. If Paul wants a pork and stuff in batch, he can have one. Paul's not under law regarding drink. He's not a Nazarene. If Paul wants to go for a pint at the Corinthian arms, he can do. Paul's not under law regarding marriage. If, If he wants to get married, he's perfectly entitled to take a wife. And he's not under law to refuse a wage. He's perfectly entitled to hand in his expenses at Corinth. Paul has rights. Paul knows his rights. As Christians, we have rights. And we must know them. Verse 12, nevertheless. Paul said, I've got all these rights. I haven't used any of them. I haven't held on to them. I have a right, verse 14, to make a living from the gospel. But verse 15 says, I've done none of this. I don't plan to do any of this because I want to be able to say that I've preached the gospel free of charge to you. I gave you a free gospel for free. 
It, it seems obvious there, were, there was some kind of groundswell of opinion in Corinth from, from some of the way they talked to him, that, that the church in Corinth was at least in part anti-Paul. It seems from Paul's answers that his apostleship was under scrutiny. And because Paul's given his services for free, there, there was an, an assumption that he wasn't a real apostle because real apostles should charge money. And Paul assures them, I am a real apostle. The Corinthians were skeptical about getting oak for note because they were proud and they were entitled and they didn't give anything for nothing. They were unwilling to give up the rights. They fought for recognition. They, they argued and fought over the best place at communion to such an extent they were getting drunk at communion. The Corinthians asserted their rights everywhere and Paul, who had more rights than a lot of them, was willing to give them up. And so Paul's teaching the, the Corinthians a massive gospel truth. True freedom, true godliness, isn't that we enforce our rights. It's that we're willing to give them up for the sake of Christ. Being a Christian isn't about climbing some kind of ladder. It's being willing to give up your rights and serve. And we saw last week, didn't we, from John 13 and Philippians 2. This is where I think Paul gets his principle from here we've got Jesus Christ the, the person with most rights ever to walk this earth the one who could have stepped down from the cross any moment he wanted to the one who could have had the angels do his bidding when he starved himself in the wilderness for 40 days the one who was the, the greatest king the greatest ruler the greatest intellect laid aside his rights laid aside the freedoms that he had as the Son of God, laid aside even the, the use of his power, put it at his Father's disposal. Jesus, who didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God, gives up his heavenly rights and freedoms and humbles himself and becomes a servant for us. And it asks the question, what, what rights and freedoms dare I hold on to? If we want to win people for Jesus, Paul's teaching is we need to know our rights but be willing to give them up. Second thing he's teaching us is this, we need to know our goals and we need to aim for them. See that in verse 19 to 23. We need to know our goals. Why are we here as Christians? And then go for them goals. Why am I here? Why am I a Christian? Why am I a member of Holbrook's Evangelical Church? Why should I be willing to forego lots of my rights and freedoms and privileges that Jesus has given me? I am free in Christ. We'd, we'd, we'd preach that regularly. I'd want to preach more and understand more. We are free in Christ. So why should I be prepared to give up them freedoms and them rights? Well, Paul says, very simple, to win people for Jesus. This was Paul's mantra, serve all, gain some. Paul's goal as a Christian was to win people to Jesus. Look at it, verse 19, to win more. First part of verse 20, to win Jews. Second half of verse 20, to win those not under Jewish law. Verse 21, to win those without law. Verse 22, to win those who are weak in conscience. Why was Paul willing to work an extra job so he didn't have to ask money from the Corinthians? Why, why was Paul at certain times willing to refrain from his right to drink alcohol and eat certain foods? Why did he refuse to get married? Imagine the comfort a wife would have been to Paul. Well, Paul said, I did all these things so that I might win different types of people. Why did he want to win people? Paul says, verse 23, so that I might partake in the gospel with them. 
The gospel that's everything to Paul, the blessings of knowing that your sin's forgiven, the blessing of knowing that you're, you're clean, that you've got peace with God, that you've got eternal life. Paul says, I want to share that with people. I don't just want to keep it to myself. Paul says that I might win some, I'll give myself to all. Paul realized that he wouldn't win them all. But he said, I'll win as many as God gives me. Paul didn't know any other way to be a Christian than to deny himself to win people for Jesus. For Paul, if you're a Christian, there's no other, no other way of being a Christian than denying yourself to win people. And that really challenges me. Because sometimes for me it will come in, well, they need to do what I do. If they're going to fit in in this church, they need to be like us. And Paul says, Ben, what does it mean to be a Christian? And it, it means this, that I deny myself what's necessary in order to win people for Jesus so that I get to share in the gospel with them. Paul wanted to take away every, bar every barrier for people coming to Jesus. What did Paul know? Paul knew that before he was an apostle, before he was a Jew, before he was a reformed Baptist, which he was, Paul was a Christian. Paul's primary allegiance in life was to Jesus. For us, what does it mean to be a Christian? It means before we're a husband, before we're a father or a mother or a businessman or a church member or an elder or a deacon or a pastor, our allegiance is to Jesus. Our primary citizenship isn't in the UK. It's in heaven. We forget that because this world offers so much that we get consumed by it. And we let this world's choices govern things. Our commitment this morning, now we should be committed to the local church, but our commitment this morning isn't primarily to, to the local church at Holbrooks. It's not to our local turf of Holbrooks. It's not to the evangelical Christian world or the FIAC or our church tradition. It's to Jesus Christ. And so we don't need to win people to be exactly as we are. We need to win them to Christ. That was Paul's goal. Paul wasn't saying, I need you to become exactly like me. Paul's saying, I'll bring the gospel to where you are and I'll accommodate myself as much as possible to become like you so that I might win you. What was Jesus' goal? The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Would Jesus win them all? He could do, but would Jesus win, his all, win them all? No. But he has and is winning many. If we want to win people for Jesus, we need to, to know that our goal in life as a Christian is to win people for Christ. And we need to be willing to, to do that. And thirdly, and perhaps, this, well, this does bring it all together. This is the crux of things. We need to know our limits and be willing to go to them. Know our limits and be willing to go to them. We see that in verse 19 to 23. I think this is the part we need help with more, more than anything because the rest of it so far is, is kind of, um, it's, I can't think of the word, but you know what I mean. It's, it's um, theory. It's giving it in our heads, but this is, this is practical. What does it look like to, to, to win people for, for Jesus? What does it look like to, to, to know my limits and, and then go to them? What does being all things to all men look like? Because it can sound like compromise. 
Well, the point is this, that winning people for Jesus isn't easy. Especially when we live in a culture that's cold and hostile to the gospel in general. Ever so tempting, isn't it, to get into the attitude where we retreat into our Christian bubble and we pull up the drawbridge and we defend the truths that we have. And the world out there is our enemy and we, we don't want to become like them. And our evangelism ends up being, come, come to us, be like us, conform to what we do. We, we, we treat it like we're in the 60s, that people are where they are then, but they're not the where they are now. And the flip side is that some churches go way too far the other end. We just want to get people through the door, so we'll do whatever, whatever, whatever it takes to get them through the door. We'll put this on, we'll put that on. And Paul's ever so clear here, said that for the sake of winning people to Jesus, Paul did make compromises. When Paul was seeking to win Jewish people, if it was an obstacle, then he'd abide by Jewish food laws and Jewish ceremonial laws. That he didn't, it didn't apply to him anymore, he didn't, he didn't feel. But he did it. Because he didn't want to be a barrier, didn't want to be a stumbling block. If he were with non-Jews, he'd exercise freedoms that perhaps he wasn't even comfortable with in order to remove barriers from them. If he were with people whose consciences were tender about things, he'd sacrifice his comforts and rights to win them. If he were with people who, who were a bit freer in the conscience, he'd go as far as he could to accommodate them. Paul were willing to make personal sacrifices. Paul were willing to be uncomfortable to win people. But, he says in verse 21, but I never did anything that was against the law of Christ. That's his limit. Paul knew that, Paul knew what was central to the gospel. Paul knew that what, there were some things he could never compromise. And when we know what we can't compromise, it helps us to understand what we can it's important to understand when we talk about compromise, I don't mean abandon our convictions. I don't mean that, I, I, what I do mean is there are convictions and, and practices that we can hold to personally, but not enforce on others. We need to know our, our limits, but we also need to be prepared to go to them. We also need to be prepared to be a bit uncomfortable, or a lot uncomfortable. We need to know what we're willing to lose. We need to know what hills to die on. Just so happens I've been reading a book by that title, Choosing the Right Hills to Die On. And in the introduction, it's really helpful because the, the author talks about theological triage. So triage is, is what happens when, when a first responder arrives at an accident. They do triage. They work out what, what the priorities are. And there are basically four stages. Stage one is someone's in immediate danger of death. You know, they're bleeding out. And if you don't treat them, they're going to die immediately. Stage two is where someone's critically injured and they've got life-changing injuries and you need to get to them. Stage three is where someone's injured but stable, so they might have a broken arm. And it's quite a serious injury, but they're not going to die of it. They're stable. We'll get round to them. And stage four is a cut to the forehead or a, or a tooth or a broken finger. And listen, if we, if we get to that person, we'll get to them. But if not, it's not that important. And I found that really helpful thinking about 
our rights and convictions and beliefs as Christians. The Trinity being justified by faith. The person of Jesus Christ. There's more, but those are doctrines that we can't compromise. We can't say to people, well, you don't believe that, so let's, let's, let's agree to disagree, just come to Jesus. We can't do that. There's, those are, are gospel matters we can't ever compromise on. The next bit is where it gets a bit harder because there are things that are, are really important in the local church, but they're not what we call absolute essentials, but they're really important. And one writer quite helpfully says these issues... Um, he says, so, so he said, I'd, I'd consider these issues to be issues that are really important but aren't in the Apostles' Creed. So he'd say, that, you know, the first stage is things that are in the Apostles' Creed, which we're going to sing later. The second thing, the things that are not in the Apostles' Creed but are really important to us. Third, he says, the things that are, that, that are important but we're willing to live with for the sake of the gospel. Things that, that we, views that we hold but we're willing, to, we're willing to hold them privately for the sake of the gospel. You know, views on the millennium, views on how we observe the Lord's day, not, not if, but how. Views on the gifts. It's that we can, we can compromise for the sake of others on them. We can, we can hold our own convictions, but not force them on people. Not leave a church over them. And then there are issues that, if we get round to them, great. But we probably never will. And sadly, some of these issues are the issues that do cause division. Bible versions, style of worship, format of a service, how we dress and things and so on. The first two categories are fairly simple. There's got to be real humility on the second two categories. On convictions and, and preferences. We need real wisdom and grace, don't we, to, to, to know what hills to die on. And as we'll see next week, it, it is hard work. I'm not mad on the phrase because I think it gets used too much. But it's what's called incarnational ministry. So incarnate, the incarnation is God put on flesh. And what incarnational ministry is, is us putting flesh onto our words. Us meeting people where they're at. Us walking alongside people. Where, where possible, us accommodating ourselves to win people. And we say, yeah, but I don't really like speaking to people one-to-one. -one. Well, we have to compromise, we have to do it. Yeah, but I don't really like hospitality, I find it hard work. I know, but we have to compromise and we have to do it. We have to think, do, do we want to go out and make people like us? Or do we want to go out and make people like Jesus? Lots of you have heard the story of Hudson Taylor. Um, how when he went to China, he, he removed all the cultural barriers he could. He wanted to meet people where they were at. So he, it, it was a time when missions was generally going and make the heathen into little Brits. And Hudson Taylor took a hammer in from mission societies because when he went to China, he had his hair cut like a Chinaman or he grew his hair like a Chinaman. He dressed like a Chinaman. He lived like a Chinaman. He became one of them to win them. Hudson Taylor wasn't interested in converting them to British Christian culture. He was interested in converting them to Christ. There were a church, this is a, a true story of someone I know, there were a church that began a, a church plant on a really needy, desperate estate. 
and it were a noble idea. There were no gospel witness on the, this estate, no gospel presence. It was a massive estate. The sending church was very middle class. It was, it was a city center church. The reigns were good. They were gospel-centered. They weren't incarnational. They started up a church on the estate, but, but the men leading it turned up in suits every week. Nothing wrong with wearing a suit every week. They were good men, but they couldn't get over the conviction, I must be smart for church. The problem is, the people on that estate only saw people in suits when they were in trouble. Suits were for court or for funerals. They, they, they couldn't identify whatsoever with, with people coming in dressed like that. And this, this, this church who wanted to plant the church, they wanted to win people on the estate, but because the estate was so rough, they couldn't cope with it. And so they all commuted in from three, five, ten miles away. Not one of them lived within walking distance. And so they'd parachute in on a Sunday morning and then parachute out on a Sunday afternoon. And the rest of these week, these, these people who had massive unemployment, massive drink problems, massive drug problems were just left to their own devices. And the people planting the church, they loved Jesus. But they couldn't get past their way of doing things. They wanted a church just like theirs. And the church never took off. And then some people replanted it a while after. First thing they did is they bought houses or rented houses on the estate, moved in with the families, and it was costly because they wanted the kids to go to certain schools and they, want, they, they probably didn't want the kids hanging around with some of them kids. They had to lose some of the preferences. They dressed normal. They, they looked at what were essential to Bible teaching and preaching and to be in a church and they stripped back as much as possible that they could, and they said it was costly. One of the really interesting things is speaking to one of the pastors of that church, says the one thing we didn't strip back was preaching. He said we still preached for 30 to 40 minutes expositional sermons. And guess what? People understood them. Because we, we preached it in a way that were accessible, and these people, you think, oh no, you've got to just, just give them five minutes. No, they sat under proper preaching. That was the one thing we didn't give up, and they lapped it up. And they've even got a, a, a seminary course in the church now that people are doing. See, for them to, to win people to Jesus, they realized they couldn't just give them a Sunday service. They had to invest. They had to live with these people. It might not be as extreme for us, but we have to be willing to go there, don't we? That church has known problems uh, but their pastoral problems are, are different to ours. The pastor told me that two of the members of the church who were responsible for taking up the offering that week, they stole the offering and spent it on drugs and prostitutes. But he says a couple of days later, they were at his house waiting to repent and, and confess. I've not had that pastoral problem here yet. I wouldn't know what to do in a church like that. It will be completely outside my comfort zone. But that's the point, isn't it? Are we willing to be uncomfortable to win people? How do we do that? We're, there's no plans to lose anything at Holbrooks, but if we had to, what would we we'd be willing to strip back? At what point would we say enough's enough? We have to choose our hills to die on, don't we? Father and a son hadn't got along for a few years. 
and the home were tense and things came to a head one evening and they had an argument and the son said, I'm moving out tomorrow. And that night he couldn't sleep, so he went downstairs to get some food. Turns out his dad couldn't sleep, so his dad went downstairs to get some food. They were both upset, they were sat at the table and they began to talk. And it was quite a calm conversation considering how they didn't get on. They talked about happy memories, they talked about Christmas, they talked about holidays. And the way that they were talking, it was almost like there was a bit of hope that they could reconcile. And the son said, Dad, do you remember when we used to go on holiday? And we'd hire that green boat and we'd go fishing on the lake and then we'd, we'd come back and we'd cook the fish on the barbecue. They were great days, weren't they, Dad? The dad said, oh, they were brilliant days, son. But the boat wasn't green, it was blue. He said, no, Dad, it was green. He said, no, son, it was blue. No, Dad, it was green. No, son, it was blue. And it got heated. And the son went to bed and left home the next day. Sometimes we have to be prepared to lose an argument over the colour of a boat to keep a son. I wish that were a lesson we could learn as Christians more. Sometimes there are battles we need to lose in order to win. Paul uses the phrase of being all things to all men in order to win some. That doesn't mean to those who gossip, I become a gossip. To those who commit adultery and are, uh, are sexually immoral, I become as they are. Of course it doesn't mean that. But it means we, we, we do compromise as much as we can. In Acts 16, Paul gets Timothy to be circumcised in order to remove a potential barrier for witnessing to Jews. Would we go that far? But then in Galatians 2, he forbids Titus from being circumcised because he said the, the, the Galatians are treating it as a condition for salvation. Remember last week, past the port. Because Paul knew what was essential to the gospel, because Paul understood his rights, he can be really, really flexible. It's when we don't understand our rights, we're rigid, because we're, we're thinking, I can't do this, I can't do that, I can't do that. When we know our rights, we're flexible. Jesus' flexibility would have made a lot of people uncomfortable. Should Jesus really be having dinner with them prostitutes? Should Jesus really be hanging around with them scribes and Pharisees? Should Jesus really be teaching on a hillside rather than in a synagogue? We don't want to be weak as a church, but we don't want to be rigid. If some people say them lot of Holbrooks are legalistic, and others say them lot of Holbrooks, they're just raging liberals, we're probably doing something right. If they're only saying one of them about us, we're probably doing something wrong. What does this look like in our families? Are we inflexible and harsh in our families? And, and actually, we, we put our families off by the, how stringent we are on things. Is our attitude at home and at work and at church, well, it's my way or the highway? Do we have to win every battle? Are we those whose workmates and friends can say of us, they always go out of the way to be friendly and kind, but you never hear them say this or do that? Are we those who, even when it's not comfortable for us, open up our homes? We need to know our limits, but we need to be prepared to go to them. We need to know what we're willing to lose in order to win people. And we say, well, where's that in the Bible, Ben? Where is it in the Bible that we've got to be willing to give up, give up our rights? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life 
and the life was the light of men. And then we read of the same person, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Where would we be if Jesus didn't sacrifice so many of his rights and became incarnational? Christ who was rich for our sakes become poor so that we might become rich. Because we can never get to him, he, he comes to us. He became human, he, he took on our nature, he ate our food. Jesus didn't parachute in, die for our sins and get airlifted out. He lived for 30 odd years. He suppressed his rights, he suppressed his freedoms, he suppressed his powers. He worked as a carpenter, he lived in poverty. Can you imagine Jesus the creator, Jesus the most refined gentleman ever, takes off his suit, sits down at a table with tax collectors and prostitutes, but never becomes defiled himself. Jesus knew what he could give up and what he couldn't. Jesus suffered and died and was treated horrendously when he could have got down at any moment. Why did he do it? That he might win some. And that we might not just be partakers of the gospel with Paul, but partakers of the gospel with Jesus. And I think it leaves us with two things to do this morning, and we know what they are. If you haven't, throw yourselves at Jesus' mercy. Ask Jesus to, to forgive your sins and be your saviour. He's the only one that will meet you where you are and get you to where you need to be. If you are a Christian, commit to serving him all your days. Ask the Lord to show you, Lord, where do I need to let go of things and what do I need to be stricter on? Help me know how to win people. Give me a heart that will open my home up and open my life up. Father, we thank you for Paul. We thank you for his example and his willingness to lower himself. We thank you that he refused many of his rights and his convictions, and yet he was bold with the gospel. And we know that he was only following you. We know, Lord, that only you can save people. Only you can change people's lives. Help us to be willing to be flexible but faithful. Help us to be those that remove unnecessary barriers for people coming to Christ. Empower us by your spirit to do this, we pray, and give us, give us wisdom and grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we close, we're going to sing about the truths that we celebrate, the truths that are are given to us in the gospel the truths that we can never, ever compromise on. We're going to sing this, I believe, the, the creed. Now, I've been told as well to remind you, at the end, we always get it wrong. So at the end, after we've sung the last bit, we sing the chorus twice, okay? So you've had your warning. I won't be flexible on that. Don't get it wrong. Let's stand and sing.
Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.